to the Bean Ninjas podcast, where you get an all-access pass to see what happens behind the closed doors of a fast-growing global bookkeeping and financial reporting business. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Bean Ninjas podcast. Today, we're talking with Josh Steinley, who is the founder of MWI, which is a digital marketing agency. And he's also the founder and CEO of Influencer Inc., which is a publishing and training company helping CEOs and executives with thought leadership services and personal branding. As well as running these two different businesses, Josh has also written over 300 articles for major publications like Fortune, Time, Forbes, and Inc. And so on the show today, we're going to be talking with Josh to hear more about his journey in business, but also getting his tips on how to become an influencer and how to write for major publications like Forbes. Welcome to the show, Josh. Thank you, Meryl. I'm glad to be here with you. Thank you. Let's start with a little bit of your backstory. So how did you get into business? I started out when I was a kid, really. I mean, we have to go far, pretty far back to really start it out. But my first real business that I started was in college, and it was a marketing agency called MWI. still have it today. And that was the real start of my entrepreneurial journey, running a business with employees and payroll and all of that. That's really interesting. So you started that business back in college and it's still running today. Wow. Yep. It's been 19 years. Somebody contacted me on LinkedIn today. They're like, you've been at the same company for 19 years. And I said, yeah, that does feel like a long time. And in fact, this is the only job I've been able to keep longer than five months. Every other job I've had, I either quit or I got fired from. So I'm only cut out to work for myself, I guess. (laughs) They say that entrepreneurs can make terrible employees, but those same traits can make them great at running a business. So tell me a little bit about that evolution from when you started out. Was it just you when you started in college or did you start with some friends? I started out by myself as a freelancer. So I knew how to do some web design. I was designing websites. I'd worked for some of these dot-coms that were around during the dot-com boom in the late 90s. And I just wanted to do my own thing. I really wanted to be an entrepreneur. So I started designing websites. And then after about eight or nine months, I thought, hey, this is going pretty well. I bet I could hire some people on and start a real business. And that was the start of everything. Great stuff and terrible things as well. But I brought on some partners and we ran the business. And then it went really well, and then it didn't go so well, and then it went really well, and then it didn't go so well. Lots of ups and downs over the years, but hey, we're still around. And are you still working with those same partners, or has that evolved as the business changed? That's evolved. The partners I had back in, they came on in 2000. They both left a long time ago. We actually kind of went through a transition where we sold the business in 2003, and then I started over again by myself, but is effectively the same business. And in fact, that experience with partners, I was so bad. I didn't know what I was doing. I was a kid. I didn't know how to manage a business. I didn't know how to lead a team. And I had such a negative experience with my partners, not because of them, but because of me, that I swore I'd never have partners again. And I didn't until 2013. And then I brought on a new partner, Corey Blake, who's running the business with me now. And so now I have partners again and everything's wonderful because now I'm matured a little bit. And do you find that you have a different skill set to Corey? 
Yes, Corey is a master salesman. He's a master at business development. And my strength is really marketing and creating content. And we both have our own leadership abilities. He has his strengths, I have my strengths, and we complement each other really well. At this point, he's really running most of the business these days. And I focus more on creating content, getting content out there. I think I've talked about this on previous episodes. I started Bing Ninjas with a business partner and we had very similar skill sets. We were both accountants and both did every part of the business. And so that was one of the major lessons that I learned through that business partnership that we weren't different enough and we didn't have different roles. And that was a hard lesson to learn, but that one of the early podcast episodes, if anyone wants to go back and listen, I talk about that whole experience. And I actually have a business partner now and an investor, but they're quite different relationships and we all bring different things to the table and we're clear about what our roles are. And so that made a huge difference. So was that an evolution when you started working with Corey? Did you form that partnership with the intention that he would be running operations or did it just end up playing to your strengths and weaknesses? I had that intention. He didn't know it at the time. When I brought him (laughs) on, Corey was in college when I brought him on. So I had been running this business for 15 years. And Corey, he's actually my brother-in-law. So I knew him pretty well, but he had been kind of the little kid because when I married his sister, he was 10 years old or something. So in my mind, he's kind of this little kid. But then we started talking one Christmas when we were together for the holidays and he had gotten some really good sales experience and I needed sales help. So we started chatting and I realized, hey, Corey's grown up and he knows what he's talking about here. So I hired him on initially just with the intent, hey, he'll do some consulting for me. He'll help out. I had a rule against hiring family, but I was making an exception in this case. And as time went on, I realized he's really good at this. And in fact, he's really, I think, the person I'd be looking for in a partner. And so it came into my head, hey, if I could bring Corey on as my partner, he could take over the business from me eventually. And everything just fell into place. He executed on everything just the way that I wanted him to. And step by step, he took over the business. And as I stepped back, he came forward and stepped up and took over a leadership role. And everything just fell into place perfectly and worked out. And we have a great working relationship now. And how long did that take from him joining when he was in college to stepping into that CEO role? It was about eight months until he came on full-time from the time he started working. So he's consulting and working part-time. Then we brought him on full-time about eight months later. And then it was probably about a year after that, maybe a year and a half, that he really started to step into owning that leadership role. And about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, that's when I really said, hey, I'm going to try stepping out of the business and let's just see what happens. And he and our COO, Curtis Kildu, they worked together as a team and they said, okay, let's do this. And so I just took a step back and said, I'm not going to run anything. You guys, you're in charge. You own this. And let's see how this works out. And there were a few hiccups early on, but within three or four months, they were pretty much running the whole show. And it's been great. I can't say it's been entirely smooth sailing because no business is ever smooth sailing. There are all sorts of challenges, but it's worked out about as well as one could imagine. The reason I'm asking these questions is that a lot of our audience run businesses or want to run businesses, and often they run service businesses. And one of the challenges with running a service business 
which often turns into an agency, is how to remove yourself from operations or bring in a CEO and eventually act more like an investor in the business or an advisor rather than in an operational role. So I think that's a really interesting transition that you've had. It's extremely difficult. Mm. It's such a challenge. I mean, number one, you have to find the right fit. That's hard. I've tried that before. Hasn't worked out. Number two, even if you find the most perfect person, they're not going to do things the way you want them to do exactly. And it's very hard to not step in and say, hey, I want you to do this. It's very hard not to micromanage. And I've had to bite my tongue a lot, not because they were doing a bad job, just because they had different ways of doing things. And sometimes I didn't understand what they were doing and I wanted to jump in and say something. It's been very, very difficult for me to step back. And yet at the same time, I knew this would be good for the business. I knew it was necessary. But it's a challenge, even when things are working out well. Yes. How did you train yourself to do that? I think a lot of people would struggle with that, where they just want to jump in. You feel like you know a better way, but it's just a different way often. I kept myself busy with other things. So at first I went out and I started trail running and I would go out and I do these long runs and I spent 20, 30 hours a week running because that kept me uninvolved in the business <laughs> and kept me from uh, messing around with things. And then I went off and I started a second business because I'm an entrepreneur at heart. I've got to be running something. And so, you know, nature abhors a vacuum. And so I went and started another business and that's kept me busy and that keeps me out of their hair. It keeps me from interfering too much. And what's the new business that you're running? So the new business is called Influencer Inc. And this grew out of my experience at MWI because MWI really struggled a lot up until 2013. Lots of ups and downs, lots of being on the brink of going out of business. I mean, real nightmare scenarios. And in 2013, everything changed because one, I brought on Corey as a partner. Two, that's when I got the opportunity to write for Forbes magazine. And when I wrote for Forbes and I had Corey doing sales, we were bringing in a lot of leads from the writing I was doing. And Corey was on the sales end, closing all these deals. And that led to a lot of really great growth for MWI. So after learning to write for Forbes and how to work in the PR industry and to get my articles out there. Well, first of all, it expanded from Forbes. I wrote for Forbes at first, but then that expanded. And now I've written 300 articles for 20 publications. I've been in Time and Entrepreneur and Inc. and all these other magazines. That led to a book deal, led to a TEDx talk. It led to a lot of speaking opportunities, conferences and events. And so this all became personal brand building. I didn't know what personal brand building was when I started this journey. But people started reaching out and asking, hey, how did you do this? How did you get into all these magazines? How did you get on the TEDx stage? How did you get this book deal? And so I started teaching people how to do it. And I realized I've got so many people asking me about this. There's probably a business in this. And so that's when I started Influencer Inc. And now we produce courses and training materials and we do coaching programs to help other people do what I've done to help entrepreneurs and executives build their personal brand and leverage that personal brand to bring in sales and bring in leads and build their businesses through that. So it sounds like you initially got into that with that first piece of writing with Forbes. And so had you done much writing prior to that? I know you worked in marketing. Was that a skill that you already had or was that something you had to develop? I had done a lot of writing, but I didn't think of myself as a writer. Now that I look back, I can look back on my childhood and I was writing stories when I was in 
elementary school and my teachers always found them entertaining. Uh, in fact, I actually got kicked out of the school because of something I wrote <laughs> when I was 10 years old. So I knew there was power in writing, but I never consciously thought about it or thought of myself as a writer really until I got signed up with Forbes. I had been blogging a lot and I really enjoyed blogging. I wrote whether or not people were reading it. So when I got signed up for Forbes, I realized, oh, I guess I'm kind of good at this or I have a gift for this because Forbes wants me to write for them and people seem to enjoy my articles. And then I was able to get my articles in other magazines. So that was really when I realized, yeah, I guess I have a talent for doing this. Up until that point, I had just been writing mostly for myself. And was it because Corey came on that that freed up enough time for you to spend more time writing? Or were you already, it sounded like you were already carving out some time in your week to do things like blogging. It was coincidental. Corey came on at the same time that I got signed up for Forbes, but Corey coming on definitely freed up my time so that I was able to dedicate more time to writing for Forbes and these other publications than I otherwise would have been able to. So if someone else, so say a business owner running a service business, wanted to start writing for one of these publications, we'll use Forbes as an example, could you lay out some steps or some tips in terms of how they would get started with something like that? Sure. So the mistake a lot of people make is they say, I want to get an article in Forbes. And so they write an article and they send it into somebody at Forbes. They find an email on the website or something and say, hey, I've got this article. Would you publish it? And that's not the way that the system works. So the way that Forbes works, for example, is that Forbes employs contributors and staff writers. The staff writers have a full-time job working for Forbes. And these are journalism graduates. They've gone to Columbia Journalism School or some other place, and then they get hired on by Forbes full-time. Contributors, on the other hand, are experts in their field. They have another full-time job. Maybe they're an entrepreneur or an executive or some working professional. These are thought leaders, and they get to write for Forbes, but they don't get paid. Forbes actually does pay a little stipend, but it's nothing to write home about. So you write for Forbes essentially for free, and the payoff is that you get massive exposure and credibility because you're associated with the Forbes brand. So I was brought on as a contributor for Forbes. And the way that Forbes manages their contributor program is they have different departments at Forbes. They have the entrepreneur department, they have the lifestyle department, they have the marketing department. And each of these sections of the magazine have a separate editor. That editor manages all the staff writers and the contributors for that section. And so if you want to write for the marketing section of Forbes, then you need to read it, reach out to the editor of that section and pitch that editor on why she should bring you on to write for the marketing section at Forbes. And if you write for the marketing section at Forbes, you only write for the marketing section at Forbes. You don't get to write wherever you want or for whatever category you want. So if you pitch that editor and she likes your writing, she likes your style, and she thinks it's a good fit for Forbes, then she'll bring you on. And there's a standard commitment. You're expected to write five articles, between five to seven articles per month for Forbes. And if you're willing to commit to that and you do a good job, then they keep you on. And if they don't like your writing, they'll kick you off and that's it. You're out. So in order to do a good pitch, you need to have material already prepared, which means several articles that you send into them and you say, hey, I think this would be great content for your section on Forbes. I'm a specialist in this particular field, and I've noticed you don't have somebody writing about this. 
so I can fill a gap that you have. And you send in those articles and say, hey, here are my first five articles that are ready to go up on the Forbes website. And that's a much stronger pitch because then you're showing them, I've got material ready to go. They can look at the material, see if it's good or not. And you're pitching the right person in the right way. That makes sense. And how would you get the contact details? So you said, okay, you want to write for the marketing department. Is that something that's easy to find? Because you need to reach out to the editor of that department. It's not too hard to find. A lot of people contact me and they say, hey, can you introduce me to the editor of such and such department? And I don't do that. But what I tell people is these people are not hard to find. They're on LinkedIn. They're on Twitter. If you do a simple Google search and say, who's the editor for the marketing section at Forbes, it won't take you too long to figure out who that editor is. And then you can go and pitch them. Another way to get in is to talk to other contributors who are already there and ask them for advice. You don't want to ask them for introductions if you don't know them personally, because that sets up an awkward situation. If you go to a contributor and say, hey, can you introduce me to the editor? And they do that introduction. The editor is going to ask, how do you know this person? And that person's going to say, well, I don't know them. They just emailed me out of the blue and asked for an introduction. And that ends up reflecting negatively. But if you email the contributors and say, hey, I see that you're writing for Forbes. I'm just curious, how did you get on? Can you give me any advice about pitching? I'm not asking for an introduction. I'm just asking for advice. That can be very valuable. And it might develop into a relationship to the point where the contributor says, hey, you know what? I'd be happy to actually make an introduction because we've known each other now for a few weeks or a few months and I've seen your writing and I see that you're credible. So let me make an intro and I'd be glad to help you out. So if you do a little bit of research and come prepared with the pitch and you already have some pre-prepared writing, What about for people who they want to write, they've got a lot of technical knowledge in their heads, but they haven't necessarily come from something like a marketing background where they've written in that way. I'm one of those people. So I Uh learned to write like an accountant and then it took me a long time, a number of years of practicing writing to actually learn how to write something that was interesting and was not the style of writing that I was trained. Is that something that you do as part of your, as part of influencer Inc.? Or do people come to you when they've already developed that writing skill and then they're looking to really leverage that? People come to us at all points. We actually have a masterclass. We teach people how to pitch the publications, how to prepare their pitch. We walk them through the whole process. And we have people who will come into the masterclass and they're already expert writers. Maybe they've even written for other publications before, but they want to get into a different publication they've never pitched before. And they join our masterclass to learn how to get into that specific publication. And we coach them along the way. We have other people who come in and they have no writing experience. They've never written anywhere before, but they want to get in at Forbes or Inc. or Entrepreneur. And so we bring them into our masterclass. And of course, we do more work with them and it takes a little bit more effort. It might take more time to work with them, but we don't allow anybody into our masterclass unless we talk with them first, we do an interview and we feel like they've got what it takes to get in because As much as I would love to say everybody has the potential to write for one of these publications, it's just not true. Some people really don't enjoy writing, so it's going to be hard for them. It's very difficult to pump out an article a week if you hate writing. If you love writing, you can pump out 10 articles a week, no problem. But you really have to enjoy the writing process and that creative process. Otherwise, it's going to be a real struggle. We've had some people in the past that we brought into the masterclass who weren't well-suited to write, but they said, oh, I've got a ghostwriter. I've got somebody else who can write for me or help me out. 
And we haven't really seen that work out too well either. It's got to come from the person who is the voice. They've got to do the writing themselves. Otherwise, it's just a really difficult process. But if you're listening to this and you say, I enjoy writing. I've written a bunch of blog posts. I like writing on social media. And I think I can write an article that could go up on Forbes. And then those are the type of people that we talk to. And if we think they've got the right material, maybe they need to be trained and brought up to speed. But if we think they've got the potential, then those are the people that we work with. And then any other criteria or red flags that you look for, say, that's probably not going to work out in terms of someone getting into fraud. So some of their attitude and whether they enjoy writing or not would have an impact. Is there any other criteria? Yeah. If people come to us, and we get a lot of this, we get a lot of people who just want the articles in Forbes because they want to drive traffic to their business. They're not really interested in writing. They just want the results. Those are people who they should not be writing for Forbes. They should be going and buying PR services, which we also sell. But those are the people who they just need to go pay somebody to get an article written about them rather than trying to write for Forbes. Another thing is you really have to know your publication because every publication has different rules, different systems, different submission processes. Forbes actually had a little bit of a scandal several months ago. And as a result, they said, we are not taking on anybody who works in the PR field or the digital marketing field at all for any of our sections because of this embarrassing scandal that they had where they had somebody who was selling articles effectively. A contributor was charging people, writing articles for pay, which is a really big no-no. And he was doing a lot of this. So they just fired everybody who was involved in PR or digital marketing and said, nope, never again, not doing it. So unfortunately, if you run a digital marketing agency like I do, or if you're involved in PR like I am, you can no longer write for Forbes. They're going to reject you immediately, no matter how good you are, no matter what your references. So that's one thing that will keep you from getting on at Forbes. The other thing is if you're just looking at this as a marketing tool, as purely transactional so that you can get your articles up there, they'll spot that. They'll sniff it out and they won't let you through the process of getting on as a contributor. And what would you say the impact has been of having so many articles in these different publications in terms of driving traffic to your business? Was there a long lead time to start getting results from that? And how did that look in terms of impact? There was a lead time, but the lead time was because I was ignorant and I didn't know what I was doing. So for other people, it would be a lot quicker that they would see the results, but the impact has been enormous. My agency, we can track over $5 million US in revenue back to the articles I wrote for Forbes, directly back to that. And there's a lot of revenue that's come in that we can't track back to it, but we can track at least that much directly back to the articles that I wrote. So I'd say that's a pretty good ROI for writing a few articles. So that impact has been huge. And that's not counting getting the book deal and how that's built up my credibility and the credibility of our agency or public speaking that I've been able to do, which also has built up my credibility and the agency's credibility. So there's been all sorts of follow-on value that we've gotten from the writing that I did there. It's been amazing. I mean, it's been the craziest roller coaster ride. I got to hang out with Richard Branson on his private island. I mean, all sorts of crazy stuff happened after I started writing for Forbes and these other publications. So the ROI has been amazing. And let's see, what was the second part of the question then? You answered both. So I was asking about the impact and then the lead time. So if there was a big wrap up time. Oh, the lead time. That's right. So the lead time. So when I started writing for Forbes, I didn't know who my audience was. I 
just was writing whatever I felt like writing. Whatever was fun for me to write, I would write about that. So I was writing about entrepreneurship and I'd interviewed people and I would write about my experiences. It was just all over the place. And I was getting no results from it. And after a while, I realized I don't have time to write unless this is benefiting my business. So how can I write in a way that benefits my business, but without coming across as that's the only reason I'm writing? And so what I realized was, well, hey, there are a lot of people out there who need to know about digital marketing, which is what my agency does. So I'll just give tips on digital marketing. I'll explain to people how to do their own digital marketing, not pitching my company, not promoting my company, but I'll just give my secrets away. And I bet people will reach out to me if I do that. And I was right. So I started writing articles, giving away all of our secrets. I would tell people exactly how we did for our clients what we were doing as an agency. And what happened was that people would read the article and say, hey, this is great. And some people would read it and say, I'm going to go do this myself. But most people would read those articles and say, wow, this is great. I could never do this. I'm going to go hire this guy to do it for me. And so those articles built our credibility and they generated a lot of leads for us without us being slimy or sneaky or anything or self-promotional. We were just giving everything away, but that built up our credibility and built trust with our audience. And those people sought us out and they would figure out who I was and they'd figure out that I ran this agency and then they would contact us. Yeah, that makes sense. It was almost like creating desire. If you're showing what could be achieved and how you do it and then it probably is difficult to implement it. Right. You're not a marketing specialist yourself. So. Right. I mean, you're in accounting and you could tell me exactly how to do everything I need to do in my business with accounting. And I will never do it because I hate doing the accounting. I would never do that myself. So, but if you give me all your secrets, then I trust you. And then I say, Hey, I trust you, Meryl. You're an expert. I want to work with you because you know what you're talking about. And that's what happens when you give away your secrets. Nobody wants to do this stuff themselves or hardly anybody. Yes, very true. So I also wanted to get your take on what it means to be an influencer. Your business is called, or your second business is called Influencer Inc. But what does being an influencer mean to you? Or how would you describe that or define that to someone else? Well, it's a tough word these days because there are different kinds of influencers. There are the influencers who are on Instagram and YouTube doing crazy stuff and going all nuts and they're standing in front of their Lamborghinis and big houses. Those aren't the kind of influencers that we work with. That's not the kind of influencer that I am. And the kind of influencers that we work with are really B2B influencers. They're thought leaders. There are people who, they might be an entrepreneur and they run a business and they're an expert in their field. We help them to become more influential and become an influencer in their space. We help them to engage in thought leadership. And so the word influencer to me is Anybody who influences, we're all influencers. If you're a parent, you're an influencer. If you're a teacher, you're an influencer. If you're an executive, an entrepreneur, everybody influences somebody. The question is, do you want to enhance that influence and get your message out and have a larger impact on people? Do you want to use that influence to grow a business, to progress in your career, to get paid more, to have longer tenure in your career? These are things that we can use influence to do. And that's what we're really teaching people to do is how do I take my message, my expertise, the knowledge in my head, and turn that into something that will serve other people and will also result in a greater income for me or for my business. Wonderful. Well, Josh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Did you have any parting words of wisdom 
that you wanted to share with the audience before we wrap up? Just one last bit of advice. The number one factor in being influential is love. And when I say love, I mean having a passion for what you're doing and a passion for helping the people that you're serving. Because if it's just transactional, if you're just looking at influence as a tool to get what you want, that's called manipulation. And manipulation always backfires. It never works in the long term. But if you love doing what you do, you love the information you have and you love sharing it and you love helping the people that you help, then influence is a great tool to enhance that and allow you to serve more people in more authentic ways and bigger ways. And you'll get the rewards for it. It's a win-win for everybody. And if anyone in the audience wanted to get in touch with you or wanted to work with you, what's the best way for them to get in contact? Best way is my website, joshsteinley.com or find me on LinkedIn. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Josh. Thank you, Meryl. Pleasure being on. By the way, if you're a coach or consultant, we've published an in-depth guide to help you improve your financial health and cash flow this year. Check it out for free at beingninjas.com forward slash coaches. That's B-E-A-N-N-I-N-J-A-S dot com forward slash coaches.